Hi, everyone. I'm Byrne, if you don't know me. I'm glad to be able to share God's Word with you tonight. Uh, let me mention one quick thing before we get into the sermon. You probably have noticed we've got a new screen. We've got a new projector. If you turn around, if you look up, there's another screen up there as well, and it's a great blessing to those of us who preach or lead or the musicians. And so thank God for his provision, and of course, thank you for your generosity. And um, we all come together and make these things happen, and that's fantastic. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us and speak into our lives. We ask as we listen tonight that you will minister strongly to us. As we think about the topic of suffering, Lord, we know that we all face it, have faced it, and will face it. And we ask that you'll give us more of your understanding. We ask that you'll pour out your grace. We ask that your spirit will be powerfully active. We ask that you will change us. And so we commit every part of our sharing in your word now into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to begin by reading two quotes. And as I read those quotes, I want you to ask yourself a question. I want you to think, well, which one do I agree with? Which of these quotes do I think is true? Now, neither of these quotes is uh, a current thing. These are decades old, and and as soon as you see the pictures in a second of the guys who said these things, you'll agree with me. Uh, The first one is by a man named William Barclay. He was a a liberal Christian writer. He was uh, quite popular a few decades back. And uh, he wrote these words. I believe that pain and suffering are never the will of God for his people, God for his children. Second quote. Another black and white picture from decades back. Uh, This is Malcolm Mugridge, British journalist and writer. This is something that he said uh, towards the end of his life. The quote from him is, Looking over my 90 years... I realize I have never made any progress in good times. I only progressed in the hard times. Which of these quotes do you agree with more? Are pain and suffering a a mistake, as Barclay seems to be saying, something that God doesn't want, something God can't control? Or do they have some sort of divine purpose, as Mugridge seems to be saying? Does God use pain and suffering for our growth? What do you think? Who do you agree with? Well, if you scanned across our country, if you scanned across Australia, uh, many, many people, I believe, would actually say, I agree with the first one. The uh, ancient philosopher Epicurus, he said that we should go through life avoiding suffering by pursuing pleasure. That sounds like 21st century Sydney to me. You know, we live in a pleasure-seeking culture, a pleasure-seeking world, don't we? There's many, many comforts around us. Of course, those things can be good, but the thing is that many people believe that life is only about always making it as good as possible, and there's no room left to even understand or even embrace or have any concept of what suffering really is. Here's what the Bible says. But if you endure, sorry, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. 
To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now look, that's just one verse out of many on suffering in the Bible. And of course, in this sermon tonight, I don't want to make light of any of the very real sufferings that you may be facing. But the thing is, the Bible says that it is there and we should expect it. That, that quote from Mugridge about progressing in the hard times, it actually fits the big picture of what God is doing. And so we can and we should expect suffering of different sorts. Now that doesn't mean though, let me say this, and I want to be, us to be clear on this before we dig into the passage, uh, we shouldn't just accept it in the sense of never trying to do anything about it either. Okay, so it is a good thing to try to minimize suffering by giving clothing and shelter to the homeless. You know, or to food to the hungry, or medication to a sick person, or to say a kind word to someone who's down. Those are good, good things we should be doing. Um, it's great that we, as a church, we just not too long ago, we had the Soxathon, didn't we? And we, of course, uh, sponsor needy children through Compassion Australia. You know, as Christians, we should want to relieve the suffering of others where we can. But my point here is that we have to see the goal of life as more than just pleasure-seeking. And to know that suffering is real and that we are going to face it. And we need to understand this if we want to make any sense at all out of tonight's passage. Because see, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is actually speaking about the normal Christian life. I think this is one of the, the beautiful things about our faith. Uh, God, in his word, he doesn't deny the hard things. He doesn't write off our sin and hurt and pain by saying that it's not real or that it's an illusion or we just have to try harder or anything like that. Instead, God helps us to understand what really happens in the day to day. The Bible speaks to reality because it gives us our reality. But if this brings us to a natural question then, doesn't it? If suffering is there, and it is, then what's God doing with it? What's its purpose? Now, there's a whole lot we could say about that, but tonight I want us just to focus in on three things that we see in the passage here before us. Okay, three things that God is doing that Paul tells us. And the first one that we see here is that suffering helps us rely on God. It helps us rely on God. Have a look at verses 8 and 9 with me, please. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Here the Apostle Paul, he's sharing with these Corinthian Christians how tough ministry really was. And basically he says that while they were in Asia, it all went pear-shaped. You know, this affliction, whatever it was, it was so bad they just didn't think they were going to make it through. And if you read uh, chapter 11 sometime, Paul goes on to list some of the th other things that he faced in ministry. And he uh, talks about things like prison and beatings, and shipwreck and bandits and false Christians and hunger and, and the stress of his concern that he always carried for all of the churches. When Jesus called Paul, he said, 
I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul, the man who wrote the words that we're exploring here tonight, he's speaking from experience, he's speaking from his relationship with God, he really knew suffering. And he says that these stressful times happened so that he could learn to rely on God. These intense times brought him to his knees and reminded him that he couldn't go it alone. This speaks into our lives as well. How do we react when we've gone back and forth to the hospital so many times and health is just a struggle? What do we do when the phone rings and our heart sinks because we hear on the other end of the line about these great troubles that you know, our family or our loved ones or friends are facing? What about when the news from the specialist is just not very good at all? How do we deal with uh, keep getting the, the raw end of things at work or school or uni, you know, and just knowing we just never fit in there because we're the only Christian. What about when the pressures of having a young family are just too much? Or what about when everything around us is changing even though we desperately want it to stay the same? The good news is that at these times we can rely on God. Now, as people, we're going to want to chase all kinds of things to, to alleviate our pain. But the promise here is that God calls us to depend on him because we can. As his children, we can approach him and we can trust in him as our father. That language of God being father and us being children, us being brothers and sisters, is not by accident in the Bible. God, like a good father, he wants us to hand things over to him so he can care for us. He wants us to pray to him. He wants us to know that he is there for us. See, our sufferings remind us of how weak we really are and how little control we actually have. When we're facing a hard time, it's very easy you know, to collapse the whole universe down to the size of our own little world. Or maybe, maybe we're the sort of person who will just convince ourselves that we've got it all sorted out. But God, he uses times of trouble to bring us back to reality, to make us run to our powerful God where we belong. We were never made to be independent of him. The popular uh, Christian writer C.S. Lewis, he has said it very well. This is what he wrote. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, suffering jolts us out of a tiny me world and reminds us that there is a gracious and loving God of the universe. See, part of uh, relying on God is to know how capable he is. Uh, Paul tells us in verse 9 that God raises the dead. Uh, a God who can raise his son, Jesus Christ, back from the dead, defeating sin and death, uh, handling humankind's biggest problem, all of this with an eternal plan. This kind of God can do anything. Uh, so we can trust in him in the hard times. And Paul then goes on to tell us about his hope in verse 10. He says, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. These are words of great encouraging confidence. 
As we rely on God and see him work, we learn a lifestyle of trust. We can look at his past mercy and know that this will continue as we look to the future. When I first came to Australia to study at Bible College, it wasn't always easy. I was away from home. I had the unknowns of student visas hanging over my head. And because I didn't get any government funding for my education, I had to work part-time on top of my studies and the ministry that I was doing as well. And uh, there were very tough times, and uh, times when the stress was actually overwhelming. It would have been much easier just to pack it all in and go home. But, you know, it was during those times that God showed me that he is capable and he is faithful and he is loving. Uh, He sustained me by uh, his word and by fellow Christians reminding me of him. Uh, I saw answers to prayer and in in amazing ways with anonymous donations. Uh, I saw doors open that let me continue. I was given hope for the future. Uh, God even gave me Allison as my wife because he knew I was doomed if, uh, you know, he didn't provide someone for me. And, you know, but, it, but in all of this, God was actually saying something to me, okay? He was saying, it's not all about you, Burn. Don't collapse in on yourself as if this is all there is, as if, as if you're going it alone. You're part of my bigger story. I'm up to something. I'm up to something in your life. And I'm going to get you through. And he did. And he will. I can honestly say that one of the biggest things that I've learned from the toughest times is that we can rely on God. Okay, We can continue to do that. We can take great comfort because he is an all-powerful, loving father. And so that's the first thing that Paul shares with us here in this passage. You know, we can, uh, we can understand that a purpose of suffering is to help us to rely on our God. Related to this is the second thing that Paul tells us. He says that through suffering we learn endurance. Through suffering we learn endurance. Have a look at the second half of verse 6 with me, please. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. In, In a sense, Paul is saying that suffering grows us. It can change us for the better. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 5. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. See, the Christian life has never been about uh, just saying sometime in the past, I believe in Jesus, and just leaving it there. Okay, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is that God uh, has a whole pathway of growth ready for us when we enter into that relationship with Jesus. And so he will work that into our lives through the things that we face. You know, when we grieve a loved one, and as we uh, worry about our family scattered all over the state or maybe the globe, as we struggle with depression, as we hear uh, about terrible things in the news, as we face the rise of non-Christian values in our world. By clinging to God in the times of hardship, we learn to endure. 
Okay? And as we persevere in him, we change in character. Uh, we become stronger. We can see God all the more sharply and clearly. We learn to trust in him more. We become more mature, wiser, more hopeful. We become more like Jesus. That's what God is doing in our lives. It's part of the Christian walk to become more like him. And so in our, str- our strife, we can endure with real hope because we know who God is. We know that he is at work in our lives, in the challenging times. And we know that one day, in all of this, he is leading us to the new creation where there will be no more tears or mourning or crying or pain. As it says in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now that's a verse to memorize. That's a verse to reflect on and ponder. You, know, you might want to take that one, write it down, stick it on your fridge. You know, stick it as a reminder on your smartphone to come up every so often. But you know, put it on your mirror, somewhere where you look regularly until you own that as your own. Because that's a promise that we need to know. In a sense... Suffering is sort of like exercise. What if I asked you now, I said, okay, can I get some volunteers, come up here, come up to the front of the church and show us how many push-ups you can do? Okay, okay. I, I just love the reaction every time I say that. It's brilliant. You know, but, you know, and don't worry, I'm not going to really ask you to do it. I want you to think about if you did, how many could you do? You know, because would it be 10? Five? I'm not going to get a show of hands. Many? None. A few, a few people seem to understand the none. You know, you might be surprised at this uh, when you look at my amazing physique and how young and fit I am. You know, I actually can't do very many push-ups at all. Uh, this past week, I was preparing for this sermon. And I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to ask this hypothetical question to the congregation, I'm going to test myself. I actually embarrassed myself. Okay, there's so much room for improvement. I won't give you the number. It's on one hand. That's as much as that's as much as I'm going to say, okay. But whether it's me, you know, whether it's any of us sitting here tonight, you know, if we decided to work at doing push-ups, you know, in, in a month's time, those few that we could do, you know, could be twenty, you know, and then if we kept working at it for months and months, you know, we could be doing big numbers in six months' time. With exercise, the more that we do it, the tougher and fitter that we get. You know, and, and while it hurts, we keep going because we're more focused on the reward at the end. As a Christian perseveres, he or she becomes stronger in character, uh, more pointed towards God and his promises, and our future heavenly uh, hope becomes all the more real too. And so as we see here in 2 in two, in, uh, two Corinthians, uh, suffering. It helps us to look beyond our own little world and to rely on our God who is really in control. And as we do that, we learn through his strength to endure and and so we become stronger and more mature and more hopeful. And then another great thing happens. This is the the third and, and the last thing we'll take out of the passage tonight. But the suffering also gives us something else. We gain the ability to help others. We gain the ability to help others. Uh, read with me, please, verses 3 and 4. The words of the passage started with. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. See, being sustained by God through suffering allows us to say to those who are hurting around us, I've been there. You know, I understand. I've been there. I, I know hurting as well. I know it all seems impossible right now. I know you can't bear waking up one more morning in deep sadness. You know, I know that you feel alone. But guess what? I know God. God has been with me in my hard times. And we have a great God who loves us. You know, He's not going to let us go. And His promises are sure. I've been there too. See, God uses people to minister to people. That's part of the church being a body. You know, and one of the works of the body parts, that's me and you, we're parts of the body of Christ, is comforting others with the same comfort that we have received from God. Have you ever stopped to think about how special a church really is? How special Epping Presbyterian Church really is? This church right now that we are gathered in as one body. How privileged are we to be among people who care for each other, who depend on the same God, who are walking with the same Lord Jesus, who are believing the same gospel, who are reading the same uh, word and scriptures, who have the same Holy Spirit poured into our lives, who have the same heavenly hope, who are destined for the same eternal glory. I mean, how amazing is that? See, our world, as we look and explore our world, is a place of growing brokenness, isn't it? Broken families and broken relationships. You know, our world, we say it's getting smaller because of technology. But we're actually as further, the most furthest apart than we've ever been. You know, have a good look around the next time you get on a train. You know, and I'm guilty of this, of course, as well, but everyone, we're staring at our tablets or our, our smartphones or reading a newspaper or something. We're not talking to each other anymore. We can feel alone in a city of millions. But God's design for church is that it's built on the truest relationship there is, new life in Jesus, people together in him. And so we can, in him, because of how he has brought us together, we can look around and honestly say to each other, God is doing an amazing work in our lives. Let me share that with you. Or maybe you can't see that clearly right now. Let me remind you of what God is doing. Every single one of us is called to the very important ministry of comfort and encouragement, of bringing the gospel and truth of Jesus into each other's daily lives, you know, of bringing Christ into all of life. And let me say, especially to growth groups here, you have an awesome opportunity when you come together. Do you know that? Your growth group can mean sharing and praying in light of God's word and what he's doing in your lives. Please take advantage of that. Let me encourage you to not only study the Bible well, but keep doing that, of course, that's very, very important, you know, but also set apart time to really talk about how you're going. Give voice to your struggles with one another. And as you do that, as things are brought out into the open, you'll see that people then can help you because they'll say, well, oh, I've been there too. Or I'm facing that as well. 
You know, and, and those who have seen God at work in their own lives can remind you of who He is when you need to know that from fellow believers. People who have tasted the renewing love of God in dark times can be a beacon of light. So let those who have been ministered to by God now minister to you as well. And as we think about this, as we think about this across our church, uh, let me also encourage you who have known the comfort of God to look around this church and see who needs that comfort from you. Okay? Is there someone who you can invite to morning tea or, or ask out for a coffee or something so that you can share your story of how you have been sustained by Christ? Who needs to hear that from you? Or is there someone who will receive a short note in the post this week or, or an email or even a message on Facebook, whatever it is, but some words of hope and encouragement that you have written from your experience with God? Who this week will receive that from you? I read an article in Australian Presbyterian magazine a number of years ago. It was about a widowed lady, and she started a ministry to widows. Listen as I read just a couple of lines from that. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, I am reminded that no one can comfort a widow like another widow. In turn, we are moved deeply when we see another woman enter this experience and we want to comfort her in her grief. And this is another way that we can help one another. Uh, by speaking out of a shared concern, by speaking out of a shared struggle that we understand, something particular that we've faced. But then as well, we all know loss and disappointment and struggles and hardship, don't we? And so in the end, each of us has something that we can share. We can share uh, these words of Jesus and how we live them out. These great words of comfort from him in Matthew 11. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see how it works? As we face the reality of suffering, we bring it to God, we rely on Him, we endure in His strength, we become stronger and we become an instrument of grace in the lives of others. As we learn to sit more and more at the feet of Jesus in times of need, see, then we can point others to that same place of rest. So let me finish with one last story. Once heard a speaker talk about some African church leaders. Uh, they were visiting Australia for a short time, and he had asked them what they thought about Christianity in our country. Their answer went something like this. You need more persecution and suffering. You have it too easy. Way too comfortable. If you want to grow, you need to face adversity. That's challenging, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying here that we should go out and look for extreme suffering. That was not their point. It's not my point here tonight to say that. But there's a principle behind their words. Suffering can accomplish good things in God's purposes. 
So I hope that as we leave here today, we can be encouraged that when life is tough, God is at work then. Uh, He's not active in our lives just despite the hard times. He is always with us even in the midst of those hard times. He never leaves his children alone, ever. And I also hope that we can start to ask a whole new set of questions. You know, while we, while we, we will at times, we'll ask things like, you know, how could a loving God allow this to happen to me? Paul here adds another perspective. Though we hurt in this fallen world, we can sincerely ask this, what is God doing through this right now? What is God accomplishing through this that I'm facing? Because he is always doing something with it. Our suffering is never meaningless. So let's, together, as a family in Christ, with the word of God and his promises on our lips, with his strength and the power of the Spirit, let's not deny suffering. You know, or let's not you know, try to take the opposite approach and just run towards pleasure as the only answer. Let's face suffering head on God's way. Let's acknowledge that every single one of us, we have our own troubles. But as well in knowing Jesus, we can offer real and lasting comfort to others in times of need. Let's really know and love and enjoy God as he's described here, as the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And let's endure and let's learn to even suffer well in a way that glorifies him. Pray with me, please. Father, these words in your Bible are encouraging and challenging at the same time. But we ask that you will change us by them. And we ask, Lord, that you will help us to uh, see that you are really there, that you are really in control, that we can depend on you. Lord, help us to, to, to run to you instead of going it alone. Help us through our sufferings to rely on our great God. Father, we ask uh, as well that you will make us stronger and, and help us to endure. Lord, mature us through these things. Make us more like Jesus. Strengthen us greatly by your Spirit. And Father, we ask as well that in all of this you will give us the ministry of encouragement and comfort and speaking into each other's lives. Lord, please give that to us individually, but pour that out across our church so that we are a place where our relationship with Jesus spills over into our relationships in many, many ways. We ask that these things will be fruitful in his name. Lord, help us not to deny suffering. Help us not to be only pleasure-seeking Lord, help us to see what you are doing and give us the courage by the work of your spirit and your strength, Lord, give us the courage to ask the question, what is God doing through this? And give us eyes to see that and a heart turned towards you. Thank you for this time tonight in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.